You're listening to Season 2 of the Penny's Hill Practice Podcast. This episode was recorded in January 2021. Hello again, and a very warm welcome back to our podcast brought to you by Penny's Hill Practice. I am Dr. Jeff Hamp. Hello, I'm Dr. Sam McGinley. How is everybody? Are you all okay? We hope you're all keeping safe and well during the ongoing lockdown. I was just thinking, actually, can you believe it's nearly the end of January already? And I'm sure there are those of us who think it's gone really quickly, and perhaps there are those of us who felt like it's been a very slow, difficult month. So, um... Hold on in there. Um, we will get through this, and we hope that these podcasts bring you a little something to educate you and brighten your days. Indeed. And if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, we had our first coronavirus immunisation FAQ podcast. We asked you, our listeners, for any questions, and in only a week we had so many that we thought we would run the first part of the FAQ podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you do have any more questions, why not email them to us at pennyshill.podcast at dorsetgp.nhs.uk or use our encrypted podcast form on our website. We don't have a date yet for when we'll go live, but when we've got enough questions, we'll let you know. Or you can now contact us on Twitter. Yes, we have joined Twitter and are now also contactable there. Tweet us, follow us. We are at the PHP podcast. Yes, so it was a good episode and we do recommend having a listen. And we look forward to recording part two and doing our best to answer the various questions that come in. So keep sending those questions in. We've also started... Um, uh, our pod flashes our first pod flash has gone live it's a one minute breaking news episode um, this topic is about the covid vaccine scams that are going around so please do have a uh, listen it's very important now so last week we were supposed to have our episode with stars dorset but due to the covid vaccine faq podcast we postponed it so this week we cover quite serious subjects and we want to give you a quick heads up before you listen Today we are joined by Alison Woodward from Stars Dorset. Stars Dorset is the Pan Dorset Sexual Trauma and Recovery Service and they are a charity who provide invaluable and essential support. Yes, this week's episode is really important and it covers so much information really only just scratching the surface, so we do hope you find it useful. As Sam says, the podcast covers topics including sexual assault and may be traumatic to some listeners and may not be suitable for others, so please do make sure you're okay to listen to today's podcast. Also, the 1st of February to the 7th of February this year is Sexual Abuse and Sexual Violence Awareness Week, so we are supporting the week with our podcast with Alison. Right, before we start, if you have an idea for a podcast you think we should record or you just want to say hello, please do remember to get in touch using the email we've said before, pennyshill.podcast at dorsetgp.nhs.uk or use the form on our website. Yes, or any ideas for guests, then please email us at our email address and we'll see what we can do. And finally, before we start, just a very quick reminder to all of you to keep up that really good infection control behaviors you've been doing so well washing your hands really well with hot water and soap washing them frequently for at least 20 seconds doing this when you get into your house or when you get into work definitely before eating or drinking after you've coughed or sneezed or blown your nose before you touch your face your mouth your eyes or your nose and remember if you cannot safely socially distance wherever you are it is best to cover your mouth and nose with a mask or face covering even if it is not indoors well done, everyone. 
Yes, so you might be outside, but find there's no easy way of maintaining that two-meter distance from other people. So the best thing to do is to cover your mouth and nose with a mask or face covering. Okay, so we hope you find this week's episode useful, interesting, and maybe thought-provoking. So sit back, and we'll see you after we've spoken with Alison. Um, well, today we're joined by a very special guest, Alison Woodward from Stars Dorset. Alison is a clinical supervisor at Stars, and we're pleased to be able to welcome her to the podcast. Alison, good morning, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, thank you for having me. Really pleased to be here. Hello, Alison. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's difficult times, but it's good to be able to speak to you and, and do this this morning with you. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's very difficult times at the moment and um, everybody's back in lockdown again um, and we don't know how long for this time. But um, it's lovely to be able to talk to you, even if we can't be in the same room as you. Um, so maybe, Alison, could you start by telling us a bit about what is Stars Dorset um, and, and what's, what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. So Stars, Stars Dorset is a charity that works for anybody who lives, studies or works in the county of Dorset. We've got two centres, one's based in Poole and one's based in Dorchester. Um, and STARS is an acronym and it stands for the Sexual Trauma and Recovery Service. So we've got a long history. The charity's been um, active for over 30 years now, although we've only been called STARS Dorset for the last two years. Um, we used to be called Dorset Rape Crisis, so listeners might know us by that name. Um, but we're a service that works to support any survivors of any type of sexual trauma. Um, we operate a children's service, so we work with people um, from the age of four upwards, um, and we have an adult service as well. And within our charity, we have different arms of our business that support different things, really. So we have um, a counselling service, which I'm part of, and I'll explain a little bit more about my role in a second. And then we have also um, an ISVA service, which is for it's lots of acronyms in STARS, uh, but ISVA stands for Independent Sexual Violence Advisors. So they're support workers who work with anybody who wants to make a report of sexual assault or violence to, to the police and, and then goes through the criminal justice system. So they stand alongside them as they do that to help them navigate that very kind of complicated path right the way through to court and beyond if necessary. Um, and then we also have a, a support line, a helpline service that we operate um, a number of times through the week where anybody can ring and just talk to a listener about what they might be experiencing and the impact of what they're experiencing. And due, during lockdown, we've been able to increase that coverage to allow people to have more access really to support, um, obviously, because we can't go anywhere and see anybody in the same way that we used to. Um, so, yeah, lots of different things that we can offer. But our main focus is really to support anybody who's experienced sexual violence. Yeah, I'm amazed to hear how many different kind of arms to the service there are, actually. that's um, yeah. Have you kind of built upon the service according to need or was a kind of an idea that all of these things were needed sort of at the start? Have you had to kind of mould it according to demand? Yeah, we moulded it. So when it first started 30 years ago, it was a group of volunteers who noticed there wasn't any support for um, anybody who'd experienced sexual assault. So they set up a helpline. So it started as just a helpline. Um, and that it has grown from then. Um, so I joined the service. Well, I volunteered for the service five years ago as a trainee counsellor. 
um, and I've finished my qualifications with them. Um, and then I've been employed for the past two years. And in just the last two years, we've gone from uh, about, I think I was number 18 to be employed and we're now at nearly 30. So we've wow. grown rapidly in the last few years, partly because there's more funding available. So we can apply for more funding from places like the Ministry of Justice, um, from the local police crime commissioner. Um, so we can fund more posts, um, but partly because there is not necessarily more need, but there's less stigma. So more people are coming forward, which is a positive thing. Obviously not positive that they've experienced the, the trauma that they have, but positive that people are coming forward for the support. We um, spoke recently to Sexual Health Dorset as well, actually talking about stigma. They, they sort of encourage people to sort of to, to not sort of think of sexual health as a sort of a, a stigma based thing. And actually, you know, they said, you know, if you've got something wrong with another part of your body, you would go and get that checked out. And, and there shouldn't be this stigma regarding sexual health and sexual crises and things like that. And, and that's how things have evolved in this country, isn't it? And that's kind of why it's, it may be one of the last things that, are, that people do want to go and discuss and, and try and get sorted, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, our, our name change was really significant for us because I think there's something very aggressive about um, the language around rape and, and sexual trauma. And it can really shame people, <clears throat> even though obviously the fact that they've experienced that should not be shaming at all. It's about them being able to access support. But our culture, I think, does shame people. Mm. So that's why we, we, we thought really carefully about what we should be called or could be called. Um, and Stars Dorset does seem to soften that and make it more accessible to people so that it doesn't feel so abrasive coming forward and asking for support um, to change that stigma around sexual violence, because it, it is prevalent, unfortunately, in our society. And by talking about it and by helping people know that how they're feeling as a result of that, the impact of sexual trauma, um, it, it's normal. Their responses are normal and then they can process that and feel very differently afterwards. So it's, it feels really important that we talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to be talking about sort of how we, uh, the somatic symptoms, aren't we, later and how, how we normalise those. Um, you mentioned that you were going to talk about what your role as a clinical supervisor is. Yeah. So um, I have two roles. I'm a psychotherapist, which means um, I meet with clients weekly and talk to them and, and support them in what they're experiencing. But I'm also a clinical supervisor. So that means that um, we run sessions for all of the counsellors and therapists that work with us um, weekly to make sure that the work that they're doing is OK. So it's difficult work. Sometimes the stuff that clients are bringing is is tough. And what we do is we make sure that our clients our therapists are really um, processing what they're doing with their clients, that what they're doing is boundaried, is safe. Um, so I, that's my role at STARS is to really manage the, the clinical aspects of the work that we do to make sure that um, clients can come in and experience a really safe place to talk about what's happened to them with no judgment, with no fear. Um, and then they can kind of process that in the way that they need to. Um, so it's a busy role, uh, but it's great because I get to hear about everything that's going on in the service and, and think about what's happening and, and the impact on, on us as individuals. Yeah. Um, have you had to change, because I've obviously mentioned that you, you have been working from home, have you had to change the way that you approach people so have you had more yeah. remote remote reviews than meeting face-to-face -face as needed or have you tried to keep it majority still seeing them 
yeah we we've evolved so when the first lockdown happened back in march um last year um we shut all of our centers and we put everything remote which was a massive change for us um if you ever speak to any councillors, or if you had spoken to councillors before march 2020 the majority of them would said you can't do counseling online it's it's you need to be in the room it's the feel of the space but actually we've been really surprised at how amazing our clients have been and our therapists and how well the work has gone online. So we've maintained an online presence all the way through. As we've gone in and out of lockdowns, we've seen more clients face to face and then reverted back. Um, and this time around, as we've gone into lockdown again at the beginning of the year, we have maintained the services to be open, although with everybody working remotely that can so we're still seeing those clients face to face that either don't have access to technology to be able to work or they're not in a safe enough place to be able to work so if they're at home with children or partners they may not feel comfortable talking so for those clients as well we've maintained the service to be open with appropriate covid procedures in place so we've got a real mix now and and that feels really positive as well and we'll maintain that going forward it's actually that's been a really positive side to covid to give us the flexibility to work differently i think you're right it does show how how sort of resilient and how good we can be at changing and and adapting services but as you say sometimes we do need to still see people don't we yeah we do we do and certainly um first meetings getting to know somebody and then potentially working remotely a longer term is it's really important to still maintain that face-to-face where we can but whilst we recognize that for some people actually this is a much easier way for them to be able to access support you know the cost of traveling to a center for example for us um, we've only got the two centres can be really significant and and being able to see somebody at home where there's no travel costs no travel time is mass massively different mm-hmm. and I think um, one of the things we are going to see and I know some of the things that um, is, is are being talked about with sort of this reliance on digital though is that there is digital poverty that's out there though and we can't move all services can't move to a completely digital system or, or an online or a virtual system because there is still, and in obviously different areas of the country have it worse than others and it's worse than other areas, but digital poverty does still affect and, and that's why it's important to still have that ability to access and that's why we can't all just move to, well, you know, we'll we'll do things virtually can we now (laughs) no absolutely and that's why it's really important to offer the choice to people um i think and i think for me that's the biggest thing that's come out of covid is people have choice as to how they might be able to access services now whereas we didn't really offer choice before they had to come to us there was no other option um whereas now they could do either and as you say it's what works best for them if they've got the space the safety and the technology then we can do it remotely and if not then we've got the service that people can come to us yes yeah okay well should we um you you touched on somatic symptoms did you did you want to talk some more about somatic symptoms and how trauma influences that and I don't know if you've got any um examples of that um from cases or if yeah absolutely yeah so One of the things that STARS um, is really um, kind of passionate about and it's integral to the way that we work is that we really view the impact of sexual violence or sexual assault as trauma. Um, And so that can be quite different to how other people see um, what might how someone might be behaving as a result of what they've experienced so very often we have clients that will come to us and say I'm going mad I can't cope Um, it's me it's my fault and what we do to start off with is help them understand so we do some psychoeducation with them around 
actually how our bodies and our brains respond when we experience something that's terrifying um, to keep us alive. That's our primary response. We don't, we're not, we're not thinking at that point. So our brains go into a place of how do I get through this? How do I keep myself alive? There's no cognitive thought at that point of time. So very often we'll do things that we don't expect. I'm sure we can all think of times where we've thought, well, why didn't they just run away? Why didn't they shout? Um, you might well have asked that of yourself. Uh, but actually in that moment, your brain's not thinking in that way. Um, your brain's thinking I'm, I'm potentially going to die. So what a lot of what we do is help clients understand that immediate response and how then if that's repeated or if it's not dealt with at the time, that can get ingrained and that starts to come out in somatic symptoms like panic attacks, anxiety, depression, um, sleep disturbances, so nightmares or not being able to sleep, um, often things like eating disorders or substance abuse. So using substances like alcohol or drugs as a coping mechanism to numb or to um, disconnect from the world. And when we start to talk about the somatic symptoms as a, a result of what they've experienced, you can see the, the pressure coming off client's shoulders. You can see them visibly start to react, relax and think, oh, so it's not me. I actually did a good job. I managed it. I survived it. And now I can think about it in a different way. And that's when the processing starts to be able to happen. So when you asked me to come on your, your podcast, I was really excited because it, it's another opportunity to just talk more widely about the impact of that and how, how people might be behaving. It was very often a result of what they've experienced. And if we think about the why, the question behind the behaviour, um, often it can it can be transformational for them. It's innate, isn't it? It's a completely natural, inbuilt mechanism that we all have. It's you know, it's not something that we come up with. It's not something we control. But the fight and flight responses is our body's way. It's our evolutionary way of protecting ourselves, isn't it? And I say I say to patients, look, you know, if you are, and I apologise to anybody who has a much better interpretation and knowledge of archaeology and time than I do but if you're a if you're a sort of a, a caveman and you went out and there was a big tiger the first thing your body does is is say well we need to get out of here you know and and the and the, the best way for the body to do that is to have this fight or flight response this big adrenaline surge and that is that's overwhelming isn't it you can't control that no, 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 you can't. And I think sometimes when we often think of that fight flight response, and I think that's quite well known, we get taught, I certainly remember being taught that at school and with that very analogy of, you know, what happens if you're in that space of danger. But I think what often gets missed is the next part. So there's more than just fight flight responses so our brains go through that kind of it's almost like a checklist I suppose it's mm. am I bigger am I stronger can I can I fight this person and if the answer is yes then that's what happens so mm. very often that's why males because of their physicality will go into a fight response because they are generally or could be bigger than their assailant but if you can't fight or you don't feel like you would win your brain goes well I need to get out then I need to to run but if you're smaller, if you're weaker, as in physicality wise, um, you might not be able to run. It might not be safe to. So then what do you do? And then the brain goes into what we would call freeze. And freeze is so often what happens in sexual assault because there isn't another way out. It doesn't feel like you could fight or, or, or run. And freeze and then potentially um, either fawn or some people would call it flop, which is if you look at the any if anybody ever watches animal programs, um, you can see animals that will play dead. 
to avoid being eaten by their their predator um fawn or flop is very much that it's we will go into a state where we are quite malleable because our bodies have decided it's better to be in a more malleable state than to be frozen and to be rigid because there'll be less pain mm. but people will can without understanding that take that on and say well i was compliant i mm. i agreed to it i didn't say no but what's happened is they've gone into that state where they can't respond. They've either frozen or they've gone even further into a state of flop or fawn or some people, if you, if people are aware of the psychological terms would call that dissociation. And that can be really devastating for people to understand afterwards. They don't, they can't comprehend that because then when they're out of that state, they're back into their thinking brain. So it's, it's not, it doesn't connect. Um, and that's the really important part that, that lots of, people that have either experienced sexual assault or those that maybe um, receive a disclosure of sexual assault don't understand. And, and it's really hard for people to process that. And I think there's also sort of confusion as well regarding male sexual assault, isn't there? So where the male is the, the person who's assaulted and, and again, sort of people can't understand how that, that could be a thing, you know, well, you know, if, if you were taking part in it, then obviously you, you know, you were enjoying it, you are partaking in it. And that's not the case, is it? It's a, it's a, it, it's a bit like the, the fight, flight, freeze and fawn response. It's a natural reaction and, and you can't control that. It is. And one of the, you know, you've touched on a point there. One of the other things that can be really difficult for people to talk about is how they, how their body responded during a sexual assault. If someone has been raped, whether that's a male or a female, people can carry huge amounts of shame around the physicality of the response. So if a male is being assaulted, but has an erection or if a female has an orgasm, they, they can perceive that as, well, I can't have been raped because there was physical response but there's the that's where the issue of consent comes in and how how our, our like you've just said our bodies will respond in a physical way because of the way that, that we're made that doesn't mean that the sex was consensual mm. or was um okay or that that person was compliant and complicit in it yes i was just thinking through all of that about how often we see um we come across medically unexplained symptoms um and how we try and explain that to patients uh, for example i know of uh, a case where t- it turns out that there was a sexual assault within the family and i think it links to anxiety that mm. this this person experiences who then um it's sort of all all is entangled within it and i think it's, it's clear that we need to give these people space and time to think through through it all and apply uh i guess a conscious sensible uh, reasoning to, to the symptoms they're getting um, and have time to kind of work that through, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and you've, you've touched on a point there that's really important for people is that the body holds our trauma. So particularly if we've experienced any kind of childhood sexual abuse, and that doesn't need to be repeated um, rape of a child. That could be inappropriate touching. It could be comments. It could be witnessing um, something in, in the family. Um, our bodies hold on to what we experience. So lots of clients at, at STARS will experience um, physical pain. So either cro- unexplained chronic pain, fibromyalgia, um, chronic fatigue, um, anything that uh, lots of digestive problems. So um, either IBS or Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, those types of conditions where the body has internalized all of that um, anxiety and stress um, and it can be really um, difficult for people to live 
uh, the life that they want to. Um, but what can be really, you know, it sounds very negative, doesn't it? But there's the, th- the really positive thing about that is we see clients come through and if they're able to do the work, if they can tolerate it and really hold um, the possibility that what's going on in their physical symptoms is linked to what they've experienced in their past, the physical symptoms do start to change. So I worked with a client for a couple of years. It was, it was just short of two years. I worked with her weekly. Um, and when she came to me, she had very uncontrolled diabetes. She had fibromyalgia, a, a whole host of other diagnoses. Um, and by the end of the work, she, her diabetes was controlled without medication because she'd been able to take control of her diet. Um, her fibromyalgia was pretty much under control and her life was much more uh, managed. She was able to go out and do the things that she wanted to do. She was able to join in with the community groups that she wanted to join in with. Um, and her physicality changed completely because she'd been able to process what had happened to her and speak about what had happened to her. Um, and that's really powerful when that, that can happen for somebody. And um, so what about sort of techniques um, that you can sort of give to, to people? Yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked about sort of how people can, you know, with what's happened to them, they can often be sort of thinking about things more maybe in the past. How can you help with, with sort of actually how damaging and intrusive that trauma has been to them? Well, the absolute key is safety. So, you know, I, I've given kind of like a an overview of the type of work that we might do. But I think the absolute key for anybody listening to this is that we don't do any kind of going back and remembering until we've got safety first. And that means around them being able to manage their symptoms in the here and now. So if somebody experiences what I might term hyper arousal, so very anxious, panic attacks, somatic symptoms, so like racing heart, really anxious um, stomach or sweaty palms, that type of thing, not being able to sit still, we would do lots of exercises to help bring their system back online. So back into a place where they're feeling more in control and able to think. We can't do the work until we've got the thinking brain back online. So we would do breathing exercises to help manage that anxiety. We might do orientation or um, a kind of uh, facilitated meditations um, to just very quickly to help bring people back into the room. So things like feet on the floor, hands on your knees. What can you feel? What can you see? What can you smell? Is there anything you can reach out and touch? Some people find having a stone or a shell in their pocket or something that feels safe and familiar to them to help ground themselves back into the here and now. Um, Because if they're in the here and now, they know that they're safe and it's not happening now. Um, What can happen in our brains is we think it's the, the trauma is repeating and repeating and we get triggered all of the time. So the whole first part of our work is about what works for that individual to bring them back into the here and now so that when they feel that they're being triggered, they can bring themselves back so that they know that they're safe. Um, And we would work with clients individually to work out what works for them because we're all different. We all learn differently. We all feel differently. So those grounding techniques, um, it's about trying out lots of different things and working out what works for you. So we would do that first. And then once someone feels much more stable, we would then go back and do some of the remembering. And that would be, uh, again, specific to the client around what works for them. Lots of creative work, drawing, sometimes walking, um, using things like Russian dolls and things like that to help really understand what's going on. Mm. Um, And then we would talk about 
going forward who do you want to be now and moving moving on in their life so there's three phases to the work that we would do um, but if anyone's experiencing symptoms of trauma either getting in touch with us and referring in or any kind of search online to look at grounding techniques and just try different things it takes a bit of time it takes practice but doing a breathing exercise or going for a mindful walk or just taking some time out to know that you are safe in the here and now can make a massive difference in in everyday life yeah it sounds it sounds like such a really in some ways simple technique the three stages but at the same time um i can see how each part has a really important component to helping someone recover um i was thinking about that that first bit it's kind of grounding yourself in the truth isn't it kind of the truths of you know the situation and what you're experiencing so that then when you start to look at the event or go through what happened um you've got you can go back to those truths and that, that groundwork that you've done beforehand um, yeah kind of absolutely makes, and i think there's yeah. some acceptance in there as well that what you're experiencing is okay you know yeah. they're your feelings and it's your body telling you that you don't feel safe and i yeah. think when people start to think of it like that the symptoms become less frightening anyway because there's a reason for them yes. um, and then you can start to manage them differently uh, you mentioned uh, um, people getting in touch. So, do you want to tell us how people can contact Stars? How they yeah, can so talk to you the, probably the easiest way at the moment is to look at our website. So, our website is www.starsdorset.org, um, and all of our contact details are on there. Um, if people don't have access to the website, that our main phone line number is 01202. 308840 so people can either ring in or look on our website and through the website you can do self-referrals professionals can refer in um so whether that's you know other gps or or anybody like that um we can take referrals from professionals and um people can refer themselves in directly brilliant um now um all of our guests that we have on the podcast uh, we normally ask them for um a pearl of wisdom and we wondered if you had anything you wanted to share with us and uh, and the listeners. Yeah, it's linked to the coping strategies, um, actually, and the kind of the techniques. And I think so much through lockdown, um, what I've noticed working with clients is if that we can think, what can we do right now? What's what can I do in this minute to help? It can really bring us back into the moment and ground us. I think we can get so caught up in, you know, three weeks time, four weeks time, a year's time. And we can't control that. And that's where anxiety can start to really manifest. So I think my pearl of wisdom or top tip or or however you want to phrase it is to when you're feeling overwhelmed, just take a breath and think in this moment right now, what can I do next? Because if we can do something next, what's the next thing that we can do? It can Mm. feel much more manageable and it can feel like we're achieving something. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. And and we can put that in so many aspects of our lives, can't we? And that's absolutely brilliant. Mm. Well, I have learned a lot and actually reminds me of um, just thinking through how I explain medically unexplained symptoms to to people that I come across, but also thinking the the bigger picture all the time. Um, And um, I guess sexual trauma is something that we do need to be mindful of as as GPs, isn't it, Jeff? And um, something that we need to be carefully exploring as a possible 
origin of some people's symptoms um, yeah so definitely I'm really grateful for the conversation Alison yeah. Yeah. and uh, if anybody needs that number again it's 01202 308 840 and we'll put the phone number and the website in the podcast description yeah. um, Alison um, as I've said to you several times now I could listen to you for a very long time <laughs> I think it's absolutely fascinating talking to you, you. and I am going to put that in the podcast because I said it earlier and so I'm going to take it out um, but Many, many thanks for coming on. It's been absolutely fantastic. And we'd love to have you back on the podcast uh, if you'd like to come back on at some stage. But thank you for being here. It's been brilliant. Yeah, I'd love to come back on. Thank you. I, I enjoy talking about it. And enjoy maybe isn't the right word, as you said earlier, but it, it, there's something really important about sharing the knowledge that we have about working with sexual trauma to help others. So more than happy to come back and talk to you anytime. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. That was a really good podcast with Alison, wasn't it, Jeff? Yes, it was, Sam. And I think we both found it really easy to talk with Alison and we learned so much. It's not a light-hearted topic to discuss, but it is so very, very important. And as we said, it affects so many people in so many ways. Yeah, it was just such a helpful discussion, even given the difficulty of that topic. Um, Alison did mention after we'd finished recording that she would be more than happy to come back and do some different little bits of courses and classes with people so if anyone is listening or you'd like that to be considered please do contact us at our email address pennysale.podcast.dorsetgp.nhs.uk or via the special encrypted contact form on our website and we'd be more than happy to look at doing that Yes, we really do hope to have Alison on again with us. And she was really good to have on as a guest. And if you do need that number again for stars, it's 01202 308 840. That's 01202 308 840. And we've put all the contact details in our podcast description and more. Now, if after listening to this episode you feel you need to talk to somebody, then please do. Please contact your doctor, stars or your local service, even a friend. But please do talk to someone as difficult as that can be. Okay, so what's coming up next week, Sam? Well, next week we will be having a really interesting podcast, which will be the first of a couple or so of podcasts um, on the topic of dementia. So please do make sure you stay tuned for that. And don't forget, any questions for the coronavirus immunisation frequently asked questions special coming up, please email them to us at our email address pennyshill.podcast.dorsetgp.nhs.uk and yes and if you've enjoyed listening today please let us know let a friend know leave us a like or a star rating on your podcast app or even a review and make sure you've subscribed on your app so you'll know when the next episode goes live next Monday well we're very hopeful that you'll all have a lovely week we will see you next Monday so till then look after each other and yourselves bye 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 the Penny Cell Practice Podcast is created, written and hosted by Dr. Jeff Hamp and Dr. Sam McGinley. It's produced by Dr. Jeff Hamp and any references to infection control and social distancing were valid in the UK at the time of recording. Mm-hmm.